0: Hey listeners, if you're just joining us, you may want to go back to chapter one, Into the Mine, to get the full story of Hemingway's Picasso. Before Steve Coe ever arrived on the shores of Cuba, there was another larger than life American who made his mark, Ernest Hemingway, perhaps the most famous American writer of the 20th century. In 1940, when Hemingway bought his Cuban home, the Finca Vigia, he instantly became a star on the island. Norberto Fuentes was just a teenager when he first met Hemingway.
1: I'm with my father in the elevator in a very luxurious building with 11 floors, a pool. So I was with my father, and Hemingway entered the elevator.
0: He had no idea he was in the presence of a celebrity. But his dad did.
1: And my father, who was a local guy, very good-natured, what we would call a cubanazo, a Cuban through and through, with a moustache, and he said, Ah, Mr. Hemingway, how wonderful, how wonderful. And he embraced him. And Hemingway got off, and my father said, How great to see him here. And I said, Hey, old man, I didn't know you knew Hemingway. And he said, I don't know him, I've never seen him before. But it's Hemingway, so I
2: greeted him.
0: Norberto didn't realize how significant that moment would be, but it would set the course of his life in motion. I'm Leah Carroll, and from something else, this is Hemingway's Picasso. after this encounter with Hemingway, Norberto worked as a war correspondent who traveled with Cuba's troops to Angola, Nicaragua, and El Salvador. But he always heard stories from back home about the legendary Hemingway.
2: I always
1: say that if this American, this man Hemingway, had realized that that young boy stood next to him in the elevator in jeans, maybe a t-shirt, with a hairstyle like Elvis, If he realized that 10, 15 years later, I'd be snooping through his papers with everything in my hand, what would he have done with me? Would he have wrung my neck? Would he have killed me? I don't know what he would have done.
2: In
0: 1984, Norberto would write a book called Hemingway in Cuba. The book received global recognition, in no small part because most biographies of Hemingway at the time didn't give much attention to his life in Cuba. But to Norberto, it was an ode to the great papa, who the Cubans came to love. But as much as they admired him, they let him be. He was just another guy walking down the street.
1: There were many Americans living in Cuba. The American on the streets of Havana was a normal character. It was like seeing any old person from Havana, and Hemingway was no exception. Hemingway was a chubby American in a linen shirt in Bermuda shorts. It was nothing.
0: Hemingway first moved to Cuba with his fiancée, Martha Gellhorn, in 1939. One day, Martha stumbled upon an estate where there had once been a Spanish fort. It was called Finca Vigia, Lookout Farm. Hemingway's reaction to the place wasn't very enthusiastic at first. So Martha returned on her own, paid to clean it up, and brought him back for a second look. They promptly moved in, and upon their marriage in 1940, Hemingway purchased the Finca for $12,500 as a wedding gift. Hemingway lived in the Finca for two decades, where he wrote some of his major works, including what some consider to be his masterpiece, The Old Man and the Sea. And over those two decades, Cuba's political landscape slowly changed. In 1953, the Cuban Revolution began, and Hemingway was eager to meet the man behind it all. —
1: Of course, the bearded man who claims all the international attention is not Hemingway, but Fidel Castro. —
0: Castro had a vision for Cuba, to create a self-sustaining country that didn't rely on foreign imperialist powers. Hemingway was struck by these anti-imperialist ideals, having been heavily influenced by the Spanish Civil War, where he witnessed atrocities at the hands of fascist leaders. And it seemed like the dream Castro had for his country was within reach. On April 17, 1961, the US, who viewed Cuba as part of a global communist threat, attempted to invade Cuba by sending 1,400 American-trained Cuban exiles to remove Castro from power. They were defeated by Castro's troops in less than 24 hours. Castro became a hero to the Cuban people.
1: From then on, Hemingway disappears from the Cuban consciousness.
0: But of course, that dream for Cuba didn't last. The country was cut off from the rest of the world. The U.S. placed an embargo on trade with Cuba. And the once idealistic Castro became a capricious leader who ruled a country with his ruthless military dictatorship. Hemingway wouldn't live to see the worst of this. As he grew older, his years of hard living caught up with him. He was in pain, his eyesight began to fail him, and he had difficulty writing. As diplomatic relations between Cuba and the U.S. devolved, Hemingway took a reluctant break from the finca. And on July 2, 1961, just one year after his departure from Cuba, Mary found him on the ground in their home in Ketchum, Idaho, dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. His death made international news, and it was on the front page in Cuba.
2: The
1: news was published on a Sunday. A great friend of Cuba has died.
0: Roberto was just 18 years old and had started working as a journalist. Five days after Hemingway's death, he got one of his first assignments, directly from the editor-in-chief of a Cuban youth publication, to report on the news of Hemingway's suicide.
1: He told me to go to the finca to write something about Hemingway. So I went there, and at that time everyone was dressed like militiamen, armed with guns. It was a miracle if there wasn't a grenade or a knife. It was a country in a state of war. You can imagine the country was in shock after the battle that they had just won against the Americans.
0: It didn't seem like there was space to write about this famous American. But in any case, Norberto made his way to the Finca. The Finca Vigia was a reflection of Hemingway in every way. It was simple and rustic. Filled with a trove of books and art. A place where Hemingway could write, entertain, and live a simple life.
2: The finca
1: was exactly as Hemingway had left it. It wasn't a mansion. In no way could you describe it as a mansion. The importance and value of that house is that Hemingway lived in it. The ghost of Hemingway is what made it special.
0: This moment being so close to Hemingway's most precious possessions, stayed with Norberto. And years later, inspired him to write his book, Hemingway in Cuba. He felt like he had so much in common with Hemingway. They were both work correspondents and writers with big plans and bigger egos. Norberto may have just been 18 years old, but clearly he was ambitious. Hemingway in Cuba was well-received by some of the world's most respected authors, including Colombian novelist Gabriel García Márquez, who wound up bringing the book to the attention of Fidel Castro. And Castro was intrigued. He sent one of his bodyguards to collect Norberto. The bodyguard brought him to Castro's office.
1: One day, around 7 o'clock in the evening, the chief of security let me in through the back. Castro is standing in front of his desk with the book on the desk, and he said to me, this is more than just a book about Hemingway in Cuba. It's a book about Cuba.
0: To Castro, who had already said he admired Hemingway's writing, reading Norberto's book gave him a new perspective. Castro saw Hemingway's potential significance as a political tool, a way of cultivating diplomacy between the U.S. and Cuba. U.S. presidents may have hated Castro, but they loved Hemingway.
1: He saw the possibility of Hemingway that he hadn't seen before that moment. The possibility of using Hemingway. This isn't my vanity talking. That's what happened. From then on, Hemingway becomes a fundamental character, important in all negotiations between Cuba and the United States.
0: More about how exactly that went down after the break. Welcome to True Spies, the podcast
1: that takes you deep inside the greatest secret missions of all time.
2: Suddenly out of the dark it's appeared Bin Laden.
1: You'll meet the people who live life undercover. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? Vengeance felt good seeing these people pay for what they'd done. Felt righteous. True spies from Spyscape Studios, wherever you get
0: your podcasts. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. In the early 1960s, Fidel's dictatorship was seizing the belongings of aristocrats and elites who had fled the island because of the revolution. But the finca may have been the most valuable possession of all. According to a Guardian article from 2015, Mary Hemingway wrote a letter saying that she intended to donate the finca to Cuba. But in her memoir, she suggested this donation may have been coerced. Mary was Hemingway's widow, his fourth wife to whom he was married for the last 15 years of his life. She was only allowed to return to the house to take a few of her private possessions. Everything else she had to leave behind. And that included all of the priceless artwork Hemingway had spent a decade accumulating. Castro saw a unique opportunity to pair the physical importance of the finca with Norberto's words. Words that depicted an American genius at rest on a peaceful island in all its pastoral beauty. A sharp contrast to the images of guerrilla warfare that people had become accustomed to. Soon, Castro invited Norberto into his fold. He befriended not only Castro, but also members of his secret service.
1: Castro is larger than life. He's vain, egocentric. He doesn't like to be contradicted. But after all that... When the moment comes to analyze and make a decision, it's not of the least importance. Because if you say something that contradicts him or annoys him, he stamps his feet. But in the end, if he realizes that you're right, he adopts what you said. He may never admit
2: it, but he does it.
0: For all Castro's flaws, Norberto was fascinated by his inner workings.
2: I believe that the
1: fundamental characteristic of Fidel Castro is his education. Fidel is a great intellectual. People always see the rage and the beard and the fangs covered in blood.
2: He's an intellectual who likes
1: nothing more than to think and to make
2: you think.
0: At first, he believed in the purity of Castro's vision, to become a self-sustaining nation that was no longer beholden to foreign powers. But over the decades, Norberto saw that vision become corrupted. Cuba's main ally, the Soviet Union, collapsed in 1991. As a result, the island suffered mass food shortages and were under strict embargoes that left the Cuban people starving and cut off from the rest of the world. The final straw came when Castro executed two military figures that had become champions of the people, General Ochoa and Colonel De La Guardia. Remember, we've talked about General Ochoa. He was executed just weeks after Steve collected Fred and Betty. Castro accused Ochoa and De La Guardia of drug smuggling. But most Cubans, including Norberto, believed Castro had them killed because they were a threat to his power. Some Cubans even think Castro killed them to cover up his own involvement in the drug trade. Though Norberto disagrees with that point, seeing his friends executed at the hands of the government forever changed his attitude toward Castro. He became a staunch critic of Castro's politics.
2: Life was
1: very difficult for me because I didn't feel right, because it felt like the walls were closing in.
0: Living in a surveillance state where spies followed and monitored his every movement took a serious toll on the 46-year-old writer. At this point, he had a wife and a young daughter and desperately wanted to escape.
1: And the persecution of the authorities, bugging my house with microphones, reading what I'm writing, I went from being at the top to being a persecuted man.
0: When Norberto felt the life of his family was in danger, he knew it was time to flee.  — But Cuban authorities arrested and detained
2: him.
1: (laughs) — They caught me and put me in prison. That's what happened. But it helped me. It helped to create an international scandal around me.
0: And I realized that
1: I had to keep creating a scandal. —
0: That scandal took the form of a very public hunger strike. Norberto got international attention. Norman Mailer and William Kennedy, prominent American writers who were part of the pan American Writers Association, petitioned Castro to release him. Castro finally allowed Norberto to leave Cuba on September 2nd, 1994. He fled to Florida with his family.
1: Man, I've always been afraid of the world. but the thing is, I don't show it. I'm a tough guy. Fear is circumstantial. I always knew that the thing with me had a political value, a political consequence. I was probably the most important and well-known journalist in the country at the time.
0: Norberto lives in Miami, Florida with his wife. He smiles now as he tells me how happy he is that his daughter is a doctor in Texas. I'd like to say that Norberto and Hemingway switched places— that they both found peace in each other's respective home countries. But that's not the case. When U.S. ambassadors told Hemingway to leave his beloved Cuban home in the spring of 1960, it would be the last time he'd ever see the Finca. He was being cast out of his favorite place in the world. And the people of Cuba felt his loss too. But while Hemingway is gone, the Finca has lived on with them suspended in time. Norberto Fuentes is a writer and journalist. He's known for his books Hemingway in Cuba and the autobiography of Fidel Castro, which is a satirical novel written in Castro's voice. The book is an act of resistance and also an act of revenge.
1: I'd lived too much of the revolution, and the time had come for me to write it. I couldn't do that in Cuba. To do it with freedom, I've done it here.
0: If you love the show, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was reported and produced by India Witkin and Thomas Reese. Translation and voiceover by Thomas Reese. This show is hosted and reported by me, Leah Carroll. Senior producer is Pallavi Katamasu. Associate producer is India Whitkin. Editor is Lizzie Jacobs. Original music by Emma Palm. Audio engineer is Sam Baer. Fact checker is Erica Gaida. Development producer is Grant Irving. In association with Vespucci Group, Based on the story by Joe Flood, executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs, Tom Koenig, Steve Ackerman, Johnny Galvin, Daniel Turkin, and Nick Katz.